Hey, I'm Michael Wood, lead pastor at First West. Thank you so much for joining us today. Here in just a second, we're gonna dive into God's word and to see what it says about who he is, about who we are, and about the hope that can be found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I pray that today God's word will encourage you, it'll challenge you, and it'll allow you to see that no matter where we find ourselves, there's always hope because of Jesus Christ. So let's dig in and see what God has for us today in his word. Man, it is so good to be back. It is so good to be with you today. And I want to invite you to take your Bible. Go with me to John chapter 15 as we will be today. And uh, as we get rolling today, a couple of things. Uh, one, just want to take a second and thank Evan McFarlane and Mark Finn uh, for bringing the word the last two weeks. So grateful for the gift that they are to our church. Uh, delivering the Word of God with authority and clarity, and I know that you were blessed by them, and uh, just so thankful, thankful for those men. Uh, also, just want to mention real quick before we jump in, um, you heard from the thrift store of ways that our church is blessing uh, this community during this Christmas season. You heard Evan talk about uh, Christmas cards uh, to write to prisoners. Uh, another touch is Angel Tree, and we've got, I think, just a handful of kids left out on the, uh, not the kids are not on the Christmas tree, but the cards representing the kids are on the Christmas tree out there. And so we've got just a handful left. And so if you would be interested in help provide a Christmas to uh, some children in our community, uh, there's a, a, a very practical, tangible way for you to do that with our angel tree. You can get that in the lobby on the way out. And I do want to say, I am fully aware that the college football playoff committee is releasing their teams at any moment. <laughs> fully aware. And I'm very grateful that they would do that at this moment. But it's okay. I have sent a text to Reese Davis, and he let me know no SEC, SEC teams made it. So we're good, right? Oh, y'all must be some SEC fans. All right. So it, when they release them, just, just yell it out so we all know and we can just continue on with our time. All right? I'm just kidding. But, uh, man, I am thankful to be back. We, we were so thankful to be able to get away for the holidays, and uh, it was so good to get got to be with my family in Texas and Abby's family in Oklahoma. I got to go to my home church, uh, which was, we don't get to do that often because I'm kind of busy on Sundays. Uh, so that was so fun to get to see people that have poured into my life and invested in me. And uh, there was the moment, of course, at the beginning of the service where the pastor gets up and he says, hey, we have some special guests here today. And as soon as he said that, my wife goes, oh, gosh. <laughs> she knew what was coming. But we were so thankful. We were so thankful that she, that, that, sorry, that, that they honored us in that moment. And it had me thinking that I am just a couple of years away of being at this church longer than the church in which I was born and raised. And for some of you, that happened decades ago. I recognize that. Uh, but I just want you to know how much I love my church. And when I say love my church... When I say love my church, I'm not talking about my church as in I'm the pastor, it's mine. Obviously, Christ is the head of this church. I'm talking about my church as a church member. I'm just so thankful for you, and it's been so good uh, after being away for two weeks to be back and to see you. And I'm excited to wrap up this sermon today, to wrap up this sermon series. If you've been with us, you know we've been walking through the Gospel of John and seeing how Jesus revealed himself to humanity as he walked among us. That, as Enrique said, that Emmanuel, God with us, that he came in the flesh, and as he came in the flesh, he was revealing to us what God was like. And so he did it in the signs that he did, that John records for us, but also in what he said. And so in the Gospel of John, we see these signs and these sayings that tell us about who Jesus is. And 
If you remember, we've, we've shared this almost every single week, that the purpose of John's gospel that he's writing, he's saying that I want you to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in his name, you would have eternal life. You might have life in his name. And so that's part of the reason why he uses these signs. John uses these signs and these sayings because he wants you to have crystal clarity, understanding of who it is that Jesus is, that you would believe in his name, and that you would experience the life that can only come from him. And so today we tie a bow on it, and next week we'll jump into a special Christmas series that we're going to do as we lead into, into Christmas. But uh, I want to invite you to stand to honor the ring of God's word, and we're going to look at John chapter 15, verse 1 through 11. John writes, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. Every branch in me that does not produce fruit, he removes. And he prunes every branch that produces fruit so that it will produce more fruit. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I in you. Just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine, neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. If anyone does not remain in me, he is thrown aside like a branch and he withers. They gather them, throw them into the fire, and they're burned." If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you want and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. Verse 11, I have told you these things so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. Let's pray. God, we don't want to overlook the fact that in this moment, we have the opportunity to hear from, from you. And Father, in the craziness of our lives, in the struggles that we face, what a gift that we get to hear from the creator, the maker, the sustainer of the world. And so today, we fully tune ourselves in to what you would have for our lives. God, would we recognize the significance of this moment, and we ask that Spirit of God that you would do what only you can do in this moment. Help us to, to posture ourselves before you in this time as our desire to hear from you and to be changed by you, that we would have life in your name. So Jesus, may you be lifted up. In your name I pray, amen. You may be seated. May God bless the reading of his word. I am the vine and you are the branches, and those that remain in me will produce much fruit. My guess is, is that for many of us in here, we are familiar with this saying and this teaching of Jesus. 
In so many ways, I don't feel like I'm introducing something new to you today, but my hope is, is that as we take a fresh look at this today, that the Spirit of God would stir our affections for Him once again, that we would embrace Him more than we ever have. As we look at John 15, 1 through 11 today, I believe we'll see that only by remaining in Jesus can our lives be fruitful. Only by remaining in Jesus can our lives be fruitful. Now, there's a lot in this text, and we're going to cover a significant amount of it today. But as we begin, I want to give you a key statement and a key command that we see from Jesus. And all these verses and all things that are being said, to simplify it down as best I can, when we look at John chapter 15, 1 through 11, there's a key statement and a key command. Let's start with the key statement. The key statement is this, is that I am the true vine. Now, again, with these I am statements that Jesus has made in the gospel of John, there's seven of them. This is the seventh, right? In in these statements, we recognize that what is being said here carries a lot of weight. Carries a lot of weight because of what Jesus is saying, but also how he is saying it. To say I am, and then whatever follows, he is pointing back to his divinity. It is a clear sign. You may remember in some of the others that we've covered that that the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the teachers of the law, the scribes, they didn't like it when Jesus would say this because they knew what Jesus was implying when he would say these things. He was making himself equal with God. So we understand the weight of that, but but the significance here that Jesus says, I am the true vine. If you look in verse 5, you'll see that he repeats himself, but there's one difference. In verse 1, he says, I'm the true vine, but in verse 5, he simply says, I am the vine. Why would he make a point here to say the true vine? Well, it's helpful for us today to understand that oftentimes God would use this picture of the vine or the vineyard to speak of Israel in the Old Testament. We see it in Psalm chapter 80. We see it in Isaiah chapter 5. We see it in Jeremiah chapter 21 in different places. You can write those down and look at them later if you want, but several places that he writes these things down. I'm sorry, that he says these things, speaking of, of Israel being the vineyard. And and almost every single time that he speaks of Israel being this vineyard, he is always communicating that they're a vineyard that doesn't produce good fruit. Now remember, in his relationship with Israel, he had told Israel, I'm going to be your God and you're going to be my people and you are going to be a blessing to the nations. God's desire is that they would be people of faith that would follow God and as they follow God's commands, their lives would reflect to the nations what it looks like when Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is your God, that there is blessing that comes on you and that it would inspire the nations to turn towards Yahweh. But what most of us in here know is that over and over again, the people of Israel failed. They failed to be a blessing to the nations because so often they simply became like the nations. They would begin to take on the gods of other nations. They would begin to trust in themselves. And so over and over again, God refers to this vineyard that he had planted, this vineyard that he loved, but it did not produce good fruit. And so now Jesus comes along and he says, I am the true vine. I think Jesus here is implying that while Israel was a desi- the desire was for Israel to be a blessing to the nations, that ultimately Jesus is the fulfillment of what it means to be a blessing to the nations, and we know that in his death, burial, and resurrection, that he is the true vine. He is the one that truly is a blessing to the nations. 
And he says here, not just that he's the true vine, but he says that my father is the gardener. And so he's making this connect for us. Again, speaking of his divinity, right, of the special, unique relationship of him and the father. But he's also speaking to, to, again, him submitting his will to the will of the father. And in fact, we're going to see that a little bit later as he's going to talk about how he commands, how he obeys the commands of the Father. We, we see it in the Gospels where Jesus says, listen, I do what, what the Father tells me to do. I say what the Father tells me to say. He was constantly submitted to the will of the Father. So the key statement that we see here is, I am the true vine. That is a statement which the rest of this is built out on. But there is a key command for us. There's a key command. Look with me in verse 4. Verse 4, he says, remain in me and I in you. Just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine, neither can you unless you remain in me. Let me give you a tip for those of you that are desiring to have a better understanding of how to read the Bible and to understand the Bible. When you read the Bible, it's always good to look for the verbs. It's always good to look for the imperatives. What is it telling us to do? And without question, when we look at this, Jesus reveals something about himself in this key statement, but he very clearly gives you a command of what you are to do. He says, remain in me. Now, for some of you, your translation is different, or maybe you grew up hearing, abide in me. It's the same idea. The original word that's used here is a word that is used 112 times in the New Testament, and John uses it more than anyone else. In fact, just in this gospel, he's going to use it 40 times. And then in his later writings, he's going to use it 26 times. And the idea there to remain or to abide is to stay where you already are. I want you to stay right where you're at. And so he's going to illustrate this idea of what he's commanding us to do in a relationship between a vine and some branches. I want you to stay right where you're at. I want you to stay connected to me. If I could say this as straightforward as possible of what Jesus is commanding you when he says, remain in me, here's what I believe he's saying. Embrace this relationship. I want you to embrace our relationship. When I was in college, I went to Oklahoma Baptist University. I didn't know a soul there. I just went. I knew that's where God was leading me. I went there my freshman year. They, they hooked me up with a roommate. They said, this is going to be your roommate. And here I'm thinking, gosh, I'm going to this private Baptist college. Surely this is going to be a good guy. Well, he wasn't exactly a great guy. In fact, he only lasted six months. And then mom and dad said, you're coming home. Uh, one morning I woke up and he wasn't even back. I'm like, where did you go? Well, I tried something. Okay, I don't want to know. All right. So, uh, so, so it was an interesting experience. But then after he went home, I had a great opportunity. I got to choose a roommate. Now, I want you to consider for a moment, what attributes are you looking in someone for in someone's life when you're wanting to choose a roommate? They clean up after themselves, right? They have decent hygiene, right? It's college, right? We can lower the bar some. They got decent hygiene, right? They're considerate, right? You, so there's some things that you would look for in a roommate. But now I want you to think about what it looks like for you to choose your spouse, probably going to be a different list, isn't it? Yeah, there's going to be some similarities along the way, no doubt. But, but when I'm thinking about what it means for someone to choose a spouse, you understand that that is more than just we're going to agree to reside in a certain place for a certain amount of time. But this is someone that I'm saying, I'm going to share my life with you. 
We're going to experience the, the highs of life, and we're going to experience the lows of life. We, we are going to experience all that this life has together. You understand that when you're considering choosing a spouse over choosing a roommate, you know that in choosing a spouse, you are choosing to fully embrace that relationship, aren't you? And I think what Jesus is saying here, the command that he's given is to understand that, yes, we are to take up our cross and to follow him. We understand that is the call of the believer in Jesus Christ. But the nature in which he's telling us that that is to be done is the way in which we embrace it. We embrace him. Why is this so important for us today? Well, here's what I'm convinced of, is that in the mountaintop moments of life, it can be easy to no longer embrace him. Why? Because things are going great, aren't they? And blessing upon blessing upon blessing is coming in my life. I'm just riding the wave of momentum of all the good that's happening. And it can be real easy for me to drift the affections and the priorities of my life away from him onto just what's happening in my life. But here's what I've also seen to be true in my life, that in the valley of life, it can be easy to no longer embrace that relationship. Some of you today, that's exactly where you find yourself. In fact, you've almost convinced yourself to quit coming to church because what's the point? You're experiencing hardships and difficult moments in your life. For some of you, it's because of your own decision-making. For some, it's because of the decision-making of others, and you're catching the shrapnel of decisions that they've made. Maybe it has to do with work, or maybe it has to do with family, and just hardship has come on your life. And in the presence of hardship, sometimes it can be really easy to just say, God, I've had enough, I'm done. But truthfully, it's not always... In the mountaintops, and it's not always in the valley. Sometimes it's just in the day-to-day. -day. We get caught in the rhythm of life and the day-to-day -day flow and the day-to-day -day hustle, and we're just trying to get things done and get kids where they're supposed to be and get things done for work, and we just get going and life is happening right. And, and, and before we know it, we've become so busy, we're no longer faithful. So Jesus is fully aware of our hearts. It in the mountaintops, we can have troubles, and in the valleys, we can have troubles, and all along the journey, we can have troubles. And he's saying, listen, for you to come after me, it means you're going to embrace this relationship. I want you to lean in to our relationship. And so, in fact, if you look just at verse 1 through 8, you're going to see that, Je that Jesus is going to use this word remain eight times, just in this short passage here. Remain, 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 remain. He's talking about the nature of our relationship, that we would lean in and embrace the personal relationship that each of us can have because of the Spirit of God residing in us. So let me give us some observations here of what this remaining looks like. What does Jesus reveal to you today about what it looks like for us to remain in him? If you're taking notes, I invite you to write this first one down. Number one, let's just begin with the joy of remaining. The joy of remaining in him. The joy of you embracing this relationship with Jesus. Now this is going to drive some of you crazy, but we're going to start at the end here. <laughs> for our first point, we're going to start at the end in verse 11. Because I want to set the tone for you on what this means and what it looks like. In verse 11, look at what Jesus says. He says, I've told you these things so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. I want you to hold on to these things that I'm teaching you 
so that my joy might be in you. You know, truly in life, there's things that we ought to do and things we get to do, right? Students, you get to clean your room, don't you? There's things that we ought to do and things that we get to do. And sometimes in our relationship with the Lord, we can convince ourselves that having a relationship with God is something we just ought to do. Again, maybe you're here today. Maybe you're a husband that's here today because your wife just decided recently that y'all need to be more active in church. Maybe you need to get your kids involved in church. And, and you're here and you're doing it. And, but your attitude, if we were real honest, is, boy, I, I ought to do this probably should do this. But I I want you to be fully aware that when, when Jesus is calling you and I to embrace a relationship with him, this is not coming from an authoritarian who is dictating some rules, but this is coming from a generous gift giver who is offering something you can't find anywhere else. When he speaks of these things in verse 11, he's not talking about all that he's taught through his entire time with his followers. He's talking specifically about what he has said just in this moment about remaining in him. He's saying, listen, these things, these things I am giving to you. I've told them to you. So what? So that my joy may be in you. What joy is he talking about? He's talking about the joy that he's experienced as he's obeyed the Father. He's talking about the joy that, as it tells us, believe in Hebrews, where it says, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. Meaning that as Jesus was going to the cross, yes, we know that there was a part of him as he prayed in in the garden, Lord, if there's any way that this cup can pass for me, Lord, would it be so? God, would it be so? But at the same time, it tells us that there was an inner joy in him as he was going to the cross for the joy that was set before him. What was that joy? It was a joy of knowing that in his obedience, he was going to bring glory to the Father. There was incredible joy in that. But there was also incredible joy, I believe, that he knew in going to the cross and dying that vicious death, he was paying a punishment for your sin. And then outside of his death, burial, and resurrection, there was no hope for those whom he loved. And he's saying, I want you to embrace this relationship because there is an incredible joy that comes inside of this intimate personal relationship with me that you will find nowhere else. And we could take time today and bring person after person up here and just let them give testimony to the joy that they have found in their relationship with Christ. And so as we work through this today. I I just want you to hear what Jesus is calling you to, to remain in him. It's not a call to obligation. It's not a call to following rules. It's an invitation into joy. It's an invitation, as John would say, into having life in his name. So there's the joy of remaining, but I want us to not miss the purpose of remaining. What is the purpose? What is the purpose of you and I embracing this relationship with Jesus. We'll look at verse 5. Again, he repeats it here. I am the vine, and you are the branches. There's the nature of this relationship. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit, because you can do nothing without me. 
What is the purpose of you and I embracing this relationship with him? It's that you and I would bear much fruit. Why would Jesus use this picture for us to communicate what it looks like for us to remain in him? Well, one, we can grasp it, right? Apple trees don't grow on, or apples don't grow on orange trees, do they? No, oranges don't grow on apple trees. Right, what's on the outside reveals clearly what is on the inside. When Jesus here is speaking about you and I remaining in him and that by doing so we would produce much fruit, I think the fruit that he's speaking of here is our attitude and our actions. Right? We read today corporately from Galatians about the fruit of the Spirit. Joy and peace, gentleness, kindness, faithfulness, self-control. Right, All these things. He's, he's, he's pointing us to these things and saying, listen, these things, as you walk in the Spirit, as you are embracing this relationship with him, as you, these things are showing up more and more and more and more in your life. It means for the person who, before Jesus, they just lack kindness. They just oftentimes found themselves to be a jerk. That when they came to understand the grace that Jesus showed towards them, it it changes their hearts in a way where kindness begins to show up. For the person who, man, in the car pickup line, that's one of the most impatient places our community has ever seen, right? And I got to be honest with you, the Lord uses it as as a point of sanctification in my life. Because I'm just, I'm having a a full disclosure moment with you here. This is part of my battle with being a people pleaser. I don't like to make people wait. I don't want you to be, um, I don't want you to be, um, um, I I can't even think of the word, but I don't want your life to be a struggle because of me, right? I, I just don't want to do that. I'm such a people pleaser. And so when I go to pick up my kids at the car line and I have to sit there while three of my kids get into the car and it takes a lot longer than when your one kid gets in the car, I know there's nothing I can do about it, right? And in that moment, we're one, two, three, and we got bags everywhere and we got a buckle, right? And then you know what God's doing? He's just teaching me patience. It's okay. They can keep honking. They're not going to do anything to you, right? I mean, but listen, he's saying, listen, that fruit is growing in our life. There, there is attitudes, but there's also action. Can I tell you what some fruit is in your life? It's when you know that this area of my life or this friendship in my life, it is leading me towards things that go against God's desire for my life as opposed to helping me conformed in the image of Jesus And so I make the difficult decision, but need a decision, and I say, no, I'm going to cut that out of my life. That is not healthy for me. That's not helping me grow my relationship with the Lord. And so there's going to have to be some necessary endings here. Some, some, um, there's going to have to be some guardrails that I'm going to put up in my life. That's a decision that I'm making, and that has fruit that is revealing what's happening on the inside. And so it's our attitude, it's our actions, and the boldness of me sharing the gospel with my coworkers, with my family. That is fruit in my life that is being born. I, I love it's Dr. Bob Utley. Some of you in here remember Dr. Bob. He said it very clearly. Our spiritual effectiveness is linked to our continuing relationship with Jesus. 
Our spiritual effectiveness is linked to our continuing relationship with Jesus. As I embrace that relationship with him, as I lean in and press into my relationship with him, I become more effective for the kingdom because my life looks more and more like Jesus. What's the significance of that? Well, this fruit in our life, let me give you a couple of things here. Number one, it reflects his intentional handiwork in our life. It reflects his intentional handiwork. Philippians 1, right? He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. Right? So when we come to faith in Christ, it is the starting line of this journey of you and I being more and more conformed into the image of Christ. In fact, the call for me as a pastor is that I would present you to him as mature in your faith. It's part of the responsibility that I carry as a pastor, that you would be mature in your faith, that you're growing in your faith. And so when we see fruit in our life, we see growth that is happening in our life as we are growing in these areas and of our life. And sometimes God will go to the point to where he, as he tells us here in verse two, where he will prune so that more fruit will come. I appreciated Evan two weeks ago when we were talking about Jesus with Lazarus when he was dead, dead, right? And when Jesus heard that he was sick, right, he, he didn't go straight there. He waited. And it was reminding us that, that Jesus was about the purposes of the Father and not just the immediate desires of Mary and Martha. And it was a great, I, I hope that you were here. If not, go back and listen to it. But I hope it was helpful for you to understand that, hey, as I'm maturing in my faith, it becomes less and less about my personal desires and my personal happiness and just what God can do is this genie to get me everything that I need. And it's more about me conforming myself and submitting myself to what God is doing and what God desires to do in my life and in this world. And so sometimes there are things that God does in our life that we would not have signed up for. But the reality is that if you would not have walked through that, this fruit would not show up in your life. Right? For some of you, you've, you've, you've not enjoyed this time after Thanksgiving when people said, how was your Thanksgiving? Because you've had to decide, am I going to lie or am I going to take 30 minutes to tell them how messed up my family is, Right? Your family is just, it's just toxic. But the reality is you, you may have walked through a toxic season with your family. But you know what that's done? It's allowed you to have compassion for other people and the struggles they have in their family. So when you gather around with the ladies to play bunco, some of y'all just got real nervous, didn't you? Yeah, I know. <laughs> And there's a conversation about a family that starts happening. There's a stirring in you that is that voice that says, hey guys, we're all carrying around an invisible wheelbarrow that's full of our junk. We all got it. Let's show some compassion towards that family. The reality is that, that compassion, that, that fruit, that boldness to, to speak truth in that moment would have would have maybe never shown up if you hadn't walked through a season of pruning in your own life. And so fruit in our life, it reflects his intentional handiwork. But for some of you, this is why I believe God has you here today, is to understand that that fruit, it reveals my inward reality. Look at what he says in verse 8. My Father is glorified by this, that you produce much fruit and prove 
to be my disciples. Understanding that fruit in our life, it outwardly reveals an inward reality. Let me just say it as simple as I can, and I pray that you trust my heart. If you're here today, if you're listening online or on TV, and you look at your life and you would say, I don't see a lot of spiritual fruit in my life, that should be a strong warning to you that you may not be connected to the vine. Because fruit reveals that there is a source of life in us. And I've said this to you before, and I will say it again, and I will say it as many years as God gives me to be your pastor. I want you to listen very carefully to this. That the evidence of the authenticity of your salvation, what proves that your salvation is legit? The evidence of the authenticity of your salvation is not in your enlistment, but it is in your endurance. Are you truly a believer in Christ? Should you have confidence when you lay your head on the pillow tonight that you are a believer in Christ? Your confidence should come, not that you remember in third grade at VBS that you prayed a prayer. The confidence that I have that I'm married to Abby Wood is not that in 2003 that I said I do. My confidence is that day after day after day after day, we have shown the commitment that we made on that day. It is evident. The authenticity of your salvation is not that you, you, you prayed a prayer 25 years ago. Your confidence comes because you look over the last 25 years and you see fruit in your life. And so I say that to you as a warning today because, again, as a pastor, I, I'm burdened with the reality that there are people who their confidence, their hope, they're hanging their hat on the fact, well, yeah, when I was at grandma's house when I was 12, I said a prayer. And guess what? You've lived like hell since then. But yet, man, I prayed a prayer. Fruit outwardly reveals an inward reality. What's the result of that? Let me say this so we can wrap up. The results of remaining in him. Several things here. Verse 7. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you want and it will be done for you. When I remain in him, it shapes my prayers. It shapes my prayers. Now, it'd be real easy for us to read this one verse and go, God, this sounds awesome. I just lean into Jesus, and I ask that some way that the college football committee will make LSU a part of the college football, and God's going to do it. When we look at the full context of Scripture, we know, again, that God isn't up there simply as a genie just to match every one of our wishes. In fact, we see at times Apostle Paul saying, man, it was my desire to come to you, but the Spirit of God said no. I think the picture here of if you remain in me and I in you, this is aligned with what we see in other places where Jesus says, anything that you pray in accordance to my will, in accordance to God's will, it means that when my prayer is aligned with his character and my prayer is aligned with his desires and his will, right, that my prayers are being shaped. 
And I believe that God responds many times when our prayers are shaped to his character and to his will. It affects our prayer, but ultimately it brings glory to him. Verse 8, my father is glorified by this, that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. When I embrace my relationship with him, it produces fruit in my life. And when that fruit is produced in my attitude and my actions, it brings glory to God. And I think all of us here today would say we would hope that our lives would do just that. So let me finish by giving you something very, very practical. How do you remain in him? You've heard the command. You've heard the purpose is that we would bear fruit. You've heard the result that in bearing fruit, we would bring glory to God. How do you do it? Right? For some of you, you, you're like the cry of, man, the heart is wheeling, but the, wheeling, but the flesh is weak. Right? I, I, I want to remain. I want to embrace my relationship. How do I do it? Well, look at what he says here. Again in verse 7. If you remain in me and my words remain in you. Don't miss that. Understand to remain in him, I think it starts with prioritizing his word in my life. I prioritize his word into my life. Understand that fruit doesn't grow overnight. Right? If I were to have set an apple tree up here, and I were to ask you guys, all right, I'm going to start preaching, and when this thing produces an apple, y'all let me know. You would understand that would be ridiculous. Because in 30 minutes of my preaching, some of you might get a good nap, but an apple tree ain't going to grow an apple. It's not going to happen in 30 minutes. <laughs> I think I heard someone say, or 40, <laughs> All right, but it's not going to happen. Understand, there are some things in my life, for instance, when I have a headache, I might take a Tylenol, and that Tylenol meets that immediate need. But there are some health issues in my life. I don't need to take just a Tylenol. I need to be connected to an IV. Why? Because that consistent drip is doing a work in me over time that a simple Tylenol won't do. I just want you to hear me. And again, I'm asking that you would know my heart today. You don't remain in him and bear fruit by just taking a Tylenol. And you don't remain in him by, and bear fruit by thinking that your relationship with the Lord consists of just being in this room once a week. It doesn't happen. So we prioritize his word in our life. And we prioritize in such a way, look at me in verse 10, that it brings obedience. Right? If you keep my commands... You will remain in my love just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. So I hear the word, I embrace the word, I prioritize the word, and then I do the word. I remain in him when I'm doing the word. And finally, I live in the joy of his grace. Brings us back to verse 11, full circle. I've told you these things so that my joy may be in you and my joy may be complete. One of my favorite moments in the Gospels is in Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, this is coming right on the hills of Jesus. Some of you may remember, Jesus takes 72 disciples. So he had his 12 that he was close to, but he had other disciples. He took 72 of them, and he sent them out, and he sent them out full of power to do the signs that he was doing. And so they go out and they're healing people and they're casting out demons. They're doing all these things. Can you imagine what that must have been like for these disciples? 
And can you imagine what it must have been like when they all got back together? Well, let me tell you about what I did. Well, oh, yeah, let me tell you about what I did. Well, you, you've heard of one-upping before, right? It's just 72 guys all trying to one-up each other about what God did through them, right? And it says in Luke chapter 10 and verse 17, it says they come back to Jesus, and man, they're just boasting in what they did. They're boasting in their fruit. And Jesus said to them, listen, I'm going to paraphrase. Don't boast in your fruit. You boast, you boast that your name is written in the book of life. The boast doesn't start with what we do. The boast starts with who we are in him. If we want to remain in him, it means that every day I get up and I am joyful over the grace of the gospel in my life that I was a sinner far from God because of my sin. I had rebelled against him, choosing my way over his way. I was dead in my trespasses and sin, following the ways of this world. But God, in his mercy, with the love in which he loved us, made us alive in Christ Jesus. And every day I get up and I remind myself of the gospel, that Jesus chose me a sinner and that he who knew no sin became sin, that I might become the righteousness of God, that he took my sin on himself so that I might take his righteousness and put it on myself, and a God in which I chose to disobey, that I chose to rebel against, that this God and his love for me made a way that I could be right with him. And every day I remember that gospel. And so it's not about what I ought to do. It's about what I get to do. Thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, we hope, again, that you were uh, encouraged by what God had to say for you and for your life. I just want to extend an invitation for you today. Maybe today you realize that you need Jesus in your life. Maybe today you just need to take that next step in your spiritual walk, or maybe you've got a spiritual need. And I want you to know that we would love to come alongside you and serve you any way that we can. Feel free to reach out to us at firstwest.cc, or you can call the church, 318 322 5104. And we would love to help you and what God is doing in your life. Have a great day.